Good morning. I think I flipped that switch. Is it working? It's working. Hey, um, uh, that was, thank you, worship team. That was such a perfect selection of music. And uh, Pastor Tim messaged me earlier this week and said, hey, what are you preaching on? Uh, Are there any songs? And by the time I answered him, it was too late. Uh, and I said, well, I'll just, have to, I'll just have to trust the Holy Spirit. And uh, not disappointed. He is risen. Yes. So I missed being here that Sunday morning of Easter. Kelly and I were here Palm Sunday. And uh, that was the last uh, Sunday that we were free to be worshiping here with with you, what we, um, what we think of as our new church home, uh, but God has had me on assignment elsewhere. For the rest of this month of June, and then starting in July, uh, Kelly and I hope to be worshiping here more regularly. Uh, but we were here on uh, Palm Sunday morning, and, and uh, Mike and the worship team introduced that great new song. I forget the name. Uh, is, he is he worthy? And uh, it was just the second time I'd ever heard it. And I love that song. And uh, I was so sorry that I couldn't be here Easter Sunday to sing along. But I listened on the podcast. <laughs> and I sang along yeah, in the car. Uh, so I do think it's uh, good to keep on remembering he is still risen. But it isn't Easter Sunday anymore. I want to thank uh, Pastor Tim for this wonderful graphic uh, that he created, um, put it up on the church's Facebook page in anticipation of this uh, morning's worship service. He got a hold of my sermon title, and he did this, and uh, I was so grateful because I wanted to do something like this, and I couldn't. Um, And so he put this up as part of a graphic missing, and then there's a squiggle, uh, a heart squiggle, and uh, and it says, uh, reward if found, and I shared it on my Facebook page, and my older brother, who's also preaching this Sunday morning in Indiana, uh, saw that, but he didn't know what I was preaching about, and uh, so he guessed wrong. Uh, this uh, is a heart on fire, missing, heartburn, reward for return. You might have noticed that there's no star in the bulletin next to the title. (laughs) This is to say that I did not steal this from anywhere. It's not found in any book title that I know of or, or song title or music uh, video or movie or film or anything else. I think I made this up. And I've been listening to the podcast, as I mentioned, and I felt like it was you know, expected that we disclose if we've borrowed from another source. So, Pastor John, um, when you listen to this, I know you can't see what's on the screen, but I don't, have an, uh, I don't have a star next to the title. I didn't borrow this. 
why would you want to get heartburn back if you were able to get rid of it? Whether it's uh, acid reflux or indigestion or whatever else you call it, that uncomfortable feeling when, I don't know, when you've eaten something that uh, was spicier than your constitution agrees with or whatever else. Uh, This message is not about indigestion and how to find it and get it back, how to eat something nasty. and, And this message is not sponsored by Prilosec or Zantac or Pepsid AC or any of the generics. In fact, this is about something entirely different. I want to remind you this morning about this interesting account uh, in the Gospel of Luke, part of the resurrection collection of stories. And uh, you'll find this on page 1056 in the chair Bible. Is that what the chair Bible? Is that... The church Bible, the chair Bible, uh, the Bible that's provided for your use if you didn't carry your own, or I I guess I should say, go ahead and turn your Bible on. (laughs) Behold, two of them, followers of Jesus, the, the them refers to, two of them were going that very day toward a village named Emmaus which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Uh, Before I continue, just, just a quick observation. I wonder how often I have missed something extraordinary because my eyes were not tuned to recognize it. I have another observation about that in a a moment. Verse 17, he said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still looking sad. One of them named Cleopas, that's how I've always said it. Am am I wrong? Prove it. (laughs) Is Cleopas' mother here? (laughs) She would know. I always thought if you just say it with confidence, who's going to question you? (laughs) Well, he's been to Bible college, he knows. One of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, Are are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? (laughs) What a wonderful conversation starter. Are you ignorant of what's going on? If only they had known who they were talking to. And he said to them, What things? I just kind of feel a playfulness about Jesus. I I could be wrong, but I I just feel a little playfulness in this text. 
They said to him, well, the things about Jesus, the Nazarene. What do, they, what do people say about you when they don't know you're listening? Uh, I've got some ninth graders who I know exactly what they're saying about me because they're not saying it about me behind my back. They're saying it right straight to my face. That's how you know who your friends are. Sylvester Stallone said, uh, that's how you know who your friends are in Hollywood, the ones who stab you in the chest. Well, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But, some of, but, also, but also some women among us amazed us. Some women among us amaze us. There's one in particular here today that really amazes me. <clears throat> some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the woman also had said, but him they did not see. I love that, that turn of a phrase, but him they did not see. He said to them, O oh, foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Oh, what a wonderful Bible study that must have been. I hope heaven has a podcast. <laughs> Especially if it's a video, a, a, a vlog, a vlog. That would be great to be able to look up in some kind of library and, and pull up any of these great stories that we've heard from the Bible and, we don't even know how many great stories have happened since the Bible was written. We know of a few of them. I'd like to see John Huss and uh, Martin Luther and some of those other guys from church history. Some people whose names we don't know. And see how all of these things actually went down. We, I mean, we have, we have the written account, um, but no soundtrack. No pictures. We've, we've got imagination, which is often better. But I'd, I'd like to see, I'd like to hear that Bible study. I'd like for Jesus to take us through his book and get a signing from the author. 
And they approached the village where they were going. And uh, he acted, Jesus acted as though he were going to go farther, keep on going. But they urged him saying, oh, stay with us for it's getting toward evening and the day is now nearly over. I I think they didn't want to end this Bible study, this encounter with this stranger who seemed to know so much more. And so he went in to stay with them. And uh, when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. I can't read that text without thinking about the Lord's Supper. I wonder if that's what they were thinking about. Breaking the bread and giving it to them. But as they were receiving the bread from the bread of life, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And instantly, as soon as they knew who he was, he was gone. Now, notice this uh, bit that I highlight. See, I, I, I put that in there for you, that word bit. Notice this bit that I highlighted in the yellow. Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, when he was explaining the scriptures to us? And now you know where the title comes from. That's the good burn in the heart. And they were already missing it. Here's a couple of observations I want to make from this text, and then I want to move on. Uh, First, it seems to me that God really does enjoy a good surprise. It just really seems like God delights in surprising us, especially with the good kind of surprises. These guys were really (laughs) surprised. And there are many other surprises that uh, if, if, you, if you watch for that kind of a thing as you're reading the Scripture, maybe just notice from time to time, oh, I bet that was a fun surprise. Here's another observation. When you're in the middle of something interesting and the Holy Spirit really has you in His grip, you might completely forget about yourself for an interval of time. I think that's helpful. Uh, When I was teaching here at Harmony uh, in the first go-around, somebody gave me a piece of information that I have found very helpful. We were talking about uh, some students and what they were talking about and what they were thinking about, and one of the teachers said to me, "Um, do you ever wonder what they're thinking and saying about you? And, and then he said, don't, don't, don't bother worrying about that because, frankly, most of the time they're not thinking about you at all. Most of the time we're too busy thinking about ourselves to be thinking about anybody else. Have you found that to be true most of the time? I'm not thinking about anybody. I'm not thinking about you. I'm thinking about me. I'm thinking about if I'm hungry. If I'm hot, if I'm cold, if I'm tired, if I'm doing something fun later and can't wait for this to be over. 
There's a song, a little song um, uh, written by Bill and Gloria Gaither. There's a line in it that says, let's just forget about ourselves and concentrate on him and worship him. And it seems to me that these two men, while Jesus was speaking with them on the road, opening the scripture, suddenly they weren't thinking about themselves for a moment anyway. They weren't thinking about their disappointment, their uh, discouragement, their puzzlement over what has been happening. And was the women's report accurate? Was the men's report accurate? They found an empty tomb, but him they did not see. They were thinking about those things, and then Jesus was talking to them, and they weren't thinking about anything. And they said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us? And then I have one additional observation, and then I want to move on. When you have found yourself in a moment of spiritual ecstasy or really any kind of ecstasy, you'll probably want to recreate that moment again, if you can. You'll want to find it again. Doesn't work that way. One of the greatest moments of my life was in July of 1983, uh, when I stood up and took that woman to be my wedded wife. It was a good day. I won't do it again. Oh, I didn't say I wouldn't do it again. I said I won't. We got married that day, and while we can remember that, while we can celebrate it, and while um, sometime next month, I hope, I remember... (laughs) to acknowledge that day, I won't repeat it, I I might try to recreate it. I've participated in some wedding renewal ceremonies, which are wonderful things, but it's not the same as the original thing, right? It doesn't mean it's not as good. It can be just as good and possibly can be better, but it won't be the exact same thing. And I guess my observation to you is don't try to chase the past Try to put yourself in a position so that you're ready for the next thing that God has in store for you. Because if God has anything in store for you, it's not all in your past. I thought maybe somebody would want to say that they agreed with that. I guess not. And they got up that very hour... And they returned to Jerusalem, and they found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. And they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. I got so excited for Easter. I always do. I was remembering... um, just this year, in, in my lifetime, there's only one time I remember not being in church for Easter Sunday. 
That's a whole different story. I won't go into it. It's not the point. The point is I look forward to being in church on Easter Sunday. Why can't we have Easter Sunday every Sunday? And the answer might be, well, if you did it every Sunday, it wouldn't be special. How come every day isn't Christmas? How come these moments of inexpressible joy slip through our fingers like water? Why is it that I get so pumped up on a Sunday morning participating in marvelous worship, great music, usually a pretty good sermon? I've been listening to the podcast. Have I mentioned that? I started in November... 2015, listening to the first, the first message on the podcast. How many of you check, have checked that out? So uh, I went back to the very first one. It happened to be that first Sunday when after church, the congregation had a meeting and voted to extend the call to Pastor John to become the your, our pastor. And uh, I've been listening forward, so I've heard a lot of Pastor John. I've heard quite a bit of Pastor Derek and some... uh, Where's Pastor Tim? He's downstairs. And several missionaries. Uh, Right now I'm in November 2016. I'm catching up. But I'm also listening to the more current ones. So I know two weeks ago, uh, Pastor Tim did a whole children's church thing. That sounded awesome. I wish I could have seen pictures. And... Uh, last week, um, Pastor Derek had a great message, and, and I think you must have brought in a, a book or books with all kinds of bookmarks because you described it, but I, I wish I could have seen the pictures, and I got nothing. <clears throat> but my job is to make you uh, eager for Pastor John to be back. That's, that's, a, that's my assignment because he's been gone three Sundays straight, and you'll feel like you have to retrain him. Or he might feel that way. I get so pumped up on Sunday morning and I'm, I'm, I'm inflated with joy unspeakable, full of glory. But as I'm walking out the door across the parking lot to my car, if you listen very closely, you can almost hear the... of that spiritual air leaking out. Because like the tires on my lawnmower, we don't have a good seal on that, and it quickly escapes. This is a familiar text, probably uh, to you from Revelation chapter 2. Oh, that's tiny, isn't it? But it's page 1225 in your chair Bible. These are familiar words. You'll recognize them. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, uh, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds. I know your toil and your perseverance. That you cannot tolerate evil men. And that you put to test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you found them to be false. 
And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Wonderful! Way to go. I'm proud of you. You're doing marvelously. But he goes on. See that highlight in there? But I have this against you. What if God was to say, but... Dennis, I have this against you. That you have left your first love. You're doing all these marvelous religious things. And you're doing them all very well. You're an effective church. You're a dynamic church. You're a lighthouse in your community. Everybody knows what you're against. But you've left your first love. Maybe people don't know who you're for. How could this happen to the Ephesians? How could this happen to this dynamic church, this well-led, well-taught, well-discipled body of believers? How could that have happened? Here's another example from the life and the experience of one of the greatest heroes of ancient times, one of those Bible guys that I heard about in the flannel graph. Anybody here remember flannel graph? This guy is one of the flannel graph people. The prophet Elijah. Elijah, you've heard of this guy, right? Uh, is there a Veggie Tales about Elijah? I don't even know. There should be. There is? Thank you. In uh, one of the famous stories of the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 18, uh, you'll, you'll find that in your Bible on page 373 if you're using that Bible. Uh, this story, Elijah stood up and he was facing down wicked King Ahab and his wife, the wicked Queen Jezebel, Two names that are not commonly used today when naming our children. And uh, Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now I know you probably say Baal. I say Baal. Just because. Baal. His mom isn't here either. Yeah, that's right. Thank you. As far as I know, and I've, I've thought about this quite a bit, this is the only time in the Bible there is a recording of an interfaith worship service. You can read about it in 1 Kings 18. I'm not going to go through the whole story. Just, just remind you... Uh, the prophet Elijah, God's man, stood up against the king and the queen and the false prophets of Baal, Baal and the uh, false prophets of uh, Asherah and all the others. And he called all of Israel as a witness. Uh, and this interfaith service did not go well for the enemies of God. And after the great victory on Mount Carmel, 
And then by the waters of the brook Kishon, Elijah took off running. Running for his life. Right after this huge spiritual victory, Elijah was overcome with a panicked fear. And he took off running for his life. And he ran and he ran and he ran and he found a cave and he went inside the cave and hid. And there he threw himself something what, what we used to call a pity party. You remember? Uh, the uh, paraphrase of the text here says, Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I guess I'll go out and eat worms. Remember that? Here's, it, uh, here, here's the uh, New American Standard version of that. This is how it's properly translated. Then... He, Elijah, came there to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he, God, said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he, Elijah, said, I have been very zealous for the Lord. The God of hosts, for for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left And they're seeking my life to take it away. Notice Elijah's complaint there. I'm all alone. There's no one left but me. I have been in that cave. No, not geographically. But... Emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, I've been in that cave. Have you? In fact, there have been times when I almost, almost felt the exact same thing that Elijah described. I'm the only one left. I'm the only one who cares. I've left church some Sunday mornings thinking, what am I even doing? Nobody out there cares. In that moment, I don't have a slide. I didn't put this on the slide. In that moment, God answered Elijah's complaint. And you know, I'm sure you have heard God's answer. So he, God said, go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, Isaiah, uh, Elijah stood out there in the open And uh, behold, the Lord was passing by. And a great and a strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of gentle blowing. Now, I first heard this story in the, the original 
language, King James. Uh, I said that, I don't know if you could hear the smile in that. I hope you could hear the smile in that. But in the King James Version, it says, After the fire, a still, small voice. And that's where God was. Remember that? God showed up for Elijah in this moment of despair, in this moment of discouragement, when he felt alone. It was brought on, his stress was brought on by a great spiritual victory, not a defeat. Sometimes the victories drain us. We understand the chemistry of this so much better today. Uh, he was crashing from an adrenaline high, we might say. You know, all of that excitement, all of the stress in the moment, the wondering, is God going to have my back here against these 450 false prophets? Is God going to do what I believe He's going to do? And even though God did... It took, it took a toll on the servant of God. But then God showed up to encourage him and everything was okay. Right? Wrong. Right after that bit about the still small voice, verse 13. And behold, a voice came to him again and said... What are you doing here, Elijah? Then he said, Oh, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. The sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. That's the same speech. That's, that's not a mistake in, in your Bible. He said the same thing again. Even after God said, Hey... I too have cried out to God. I too have received the encouragement of God reminding me, Dennis, I am with you. I promise you, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Uh, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I've, I've, I've been reminded of those things. And still, I have faced discouragement, doubt, fear, uncertainty, I've even heard the word of the Lord. Yes, it's true. I have heard God speak to me. And this is what he said. This is what it sounds like in the New American Standard. And the word of the Lord came to Dennis saying, here it comes. Really? <laughs> That's it. I'm not kidding. Really? I've heard that message more than once. I'm, I'm, not I'm not making this up. Dennis, really? Your church, Dennis? Really? I got skin in the game, Jesus says to me. That's my blood. 
Really? Dennis? Come on. So, God says this to Elijah. This is my paraphrase. Hey, Elijah, you're not as alone as you think you are. And then God gave him this instruction. It's, it's not on the slide. It's there in the text in 1 Kings 19. Go back and do this, Elijah. Anoint Hazael to be king over Aram. Anoint Jehu to be king over Israel. And anoint Elisha as the prophet who is going to replace you. Elijah, you're done. I'm going to retire you. And in just a few chapters, there's a retirement ceremony. And uh, (laughs) Elijah gets a great send-off. Check it out, okay? I don't have time. Check it out. Elisha replaces Elijah, gets the double portion of God's Spirit, and God goes on, and Elijah gets retired and rewarded. Praise God for that. Okay. So what happens? What happens uh, when you've lost that love and feeling? Whoa, that love and feeling. When it's gone. 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 Whoa. I want to talk I want to talk with you about three things that you and I can do to find it again. But first I want to, I want to encourage you with this reminder before I before I give you that little outline thing in your bible which we're coming to I promise I want to give you this reminder life is filled with a certain rhythm there's cycles, there's seasons, there's a tempo of life, there's ups and downs, there's mountains, there's valleys, there's highs and lows, right? You can't always be up here. Praise God, you're not always down here, right? I don't know where you are today, but wherever you are, you're in transition. You're climbing, you're plummeting, you're basking at the top or you're despairing at the bottom, but you're not done. We see this all around us, and it didn't just show up by accident. This rhythm of life is by God's grand design. Let me show you what I mean. Uh, there's a little theme here. Ecclesiastes 3.1, you, you know this text too. There is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every event under heaven. Now, I left a bit out there. I left some out. I put a little bracket in there. There's a time for this. There's a time for that. There's a time for the other thing. And then verse 11 wraps it up. He, God, has made everything appropriate in its time. Turn, turn, turn. 1965, the birds, okay? That's, some of you appreciate that. 
page one <laughs> in the church Bible. Page one in the chair Bible. In the creative account, verse 14 of Genesis 1, page 1. God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. God is creating the rhythm. How often when we're starting the song, does the drummer start it with the click, 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 right? Setting the pace, setting the rhythm for the living of that piece of music. There's way more. Page two. It's going to be a while. Eleven thirty is the target, right? Genesis chapter two, verse one. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their hosts. And by the seventh day, God completed His work which He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work which He had done. Was God tired? No, He's setting a precedent. And he's going to refer to that precedent later. God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, set it apart, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Six days of work, followed by a blessed day of rest. In God's top ten list, in Exodus 20, that's page 78. See, we're fast-forwarding. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. Just a little bit later in Leviticus. Seven annual feasts and festivals. Solemn assemblies that God's people year after year after year would punctuate their year with to remind them these feasts and festivals. They're all described in Leviticus 23. And later on, two more were added. In the book of Esther, the Feast of Purim was added. Read the book of Esther and learn the story behind that one. And then uh, in the intertestamental period, between the end of Malachi and the beginning of Matthew, uh, there's a great historic event which the Jewish people made an annual national holiday uh, we call Hanukkah. All of these feasts and festivals serve to teach and remind the people of God, the nation of Israel and all the people of God, something about His faithfulness and His promise of redemption and restoration, which ultimately is fulfilled in Christ. All of those things direct our attention to Christ. Then there's the Sabbath year. Every seventh year. The whole year is a Sabbath. Woo! 
Some people in certain professions get the sabbatical, punctuating their effort off. It's most common in the uh, academic world, but not exclusively. Not only a Sabbath day every week, but even the, even the land gets a rest. And finally, after seven cycles of seven years, a super Sabbath, the year of Jubilee, when everything blows up, the cherry on the top of this particular Sabbath Sunday. See what I did there? Maybe you don't. You probably had to see it in print. Enough about cycles of life, natural rhythm of discipleship and devotion. Let's get on to the outline. My first point. There are three things that we can do to help us find the missing heartburn. Hope you'll indulge me with this metaphor of a campfire. How many of you like a good campfire? This particular picture was taken in my backyard a number of years ago, and I just want to boast that was a one-match fire. (laughs) Took just one match to get that thing going. (laughs) In fact, every fire that I build is a one-match fire. It's sort of my goal. I won't tell you which match, but it was one of them. Gasoline doesn't hurt. Just take a few steps back. The first step in rekindling that heartburn is to fan the flame. This is good advice for anyone who wants to get a small flame uh, into a big flame. Fires need to breathe. Oh, people need to breathe. People are like fires. No, okay, that was dumb. This idea is not original to me. Paul said to Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.6, For this reason I remind you, Timothy, to kindle afresh. Fan into flame, one translation gives us. Kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying out of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. So be reminded of that. And blow on it. Why did Paul need to encourage Timothy like this? Timothy was a strong disciple and leader in his own right. Was he possibly having a moment of discouragement? Was he having an Elijah experience? Was he leaning toward the Ephesian experience? We don't know. We're not going to speculate. Had he been criticized because he was too young to be an effective leader? We just know that Paul encouraged Timothy to fan the flame. Second, You've got to feed the fire. You've got to add fuel. Every fire consumes fuel. 
unless it is otherwise quenched with water or foam or whatever, or starved of oxygen, that fire will continue to burn until there's nothing left for it to burn. Many mornings I've come out into my backyard and inspected my fire ring to see if there was anything left. And there is usually just gray ash. It's a remarkable thing, though. If you take a poker and you stir that gray ash around a little bit, what you often find buried under the gray ash is sometimes a red ember. And you know what would happen if you fanned that ember and added a little bit of fresh fuel? That ember will spring up again into another roaring fire. You've got to add fuel. Maybe that's what Elijah needed after the Mount Carmel thing. He had burned up all his fuel. And he was gray ash for a little while there. I don't want to see that happen here. I don't want my pastor, I don't want Pastor John to ever say, like Elijah, I'm the only one left. There's nobody but me. I'm making it my personal mission to make sure, as much as lies in me, to make sure that my pastor never has to feel like that. How about you? Fire needs a continuing source of fuel. While... Uh, while Jesus was talking to us on the road, were not our hearts burning? But now that He's not here talking to us anymore, we already feel that the fire is starting to go down. What kind of fuel do you add? You can find it right here, for starters. You got fueled up this morning, didn't you? I hope that uh, you got a good load. When I was a young boy, I had three older brothers. When I was a young boy, youngest of four boys, uh, we lived in a house that was heated by a wood-fired furnace. And uh, so every day or two, uh, our chore was to go out to the woodshed and carry in wood from the woodshed and take it and stack it next to the furnace so that it was ready to be added. And uh, being a boy, as I have and always will be, uh, and being one of four brothers, there was a competition. Who could carry the most wood? Now, I was the youngest brother, so they all had an advantage over me. That meant that I had to go faster I couldn't carry as much at once. I had to make more trips, but I didn't want to be last. And so I would hurry and get my armload of wood, take it and drop it off and hurry back. And I would come to the woodshed with my arms open like this, and I would say something like this, load me up. And I wish that you would come to worship like this with your arms like this somehow, and say, God, load me up! 
It's a long way to the furnace. And the fire consumes fuel almost as fast as we can carry it. So I might not have the luxury of waiting from one Sunday to the next to get my next armload. But you know what? The woodshed is very easy to find these days. It's very easy to find fuel. Christian Radio, Harmony Baptist Church podcast, many other sources. Uh, Kelly and I, this last weekend, were in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Beautiful place. I, I think you should check it out if you never have. Great Smoky Mountain National Park is there. It's the most visited national park annually in the nation. Beautiful. Just looking around at what God has wrought is great fuel for the fire. But we went there this last weekend because Bill Gaither was there. No? Bill Gaither? Nobody? (laughs) Yeah. The Gaither Family Fest. This is the third year that Kelly and I have been able to go to Gatlinburg, Tennessee for the Gaither Family Fest. Now, I I know this isn't a gospel music crowd, okay? And I didn't used to be. But I was introduced to the Gaither Homecoming series when I was a rookie pastor. And I was having an Elijah experience, and I was feeling sorry for myself, and I was singing that chorus, Nobody Likes Me. Everybody hates me. Somebody, some, a, a, a godly woman, if I said her name, many of you would recognize it, bought us tickets to the Gaither homecoming in the Meadowlands many years ago in the 90s. And uh, Kelly and I went, and I got refreshed. And I became a fan of gospel music. And I still find that that's, for me, fuel for my fire. Do you have a source of fuel for your fire that you can go to when you need to be refreshed? Feed the flame. Don't wait for Pastor John to spoon feed you on Sunday morning. Oh, he's going to give you a good meal. But unlike my wife, I'm going to eat a good lunch. I'm going to be hungry again at dinner time. She says, that was a good meal. I won't need to eat again today. And so... (sighs) Look at me. There's one last thing. Feel the heat. Oh, I forgot that verse. Feel the heat. You like a good campfire? You like to... uh, when, When the sun is down and the cool evening air is settling in... You want to step a little closer to the fire, rub your hands, put them. Maybe you want to turn your back to the fire. Maybe you want to bend forward just a little bit at the waist. (laughs) Feel the heat. A rookie pastor, during the time that I was there, um, anybody ever hear of Promise Keepers? 
Promise Keepers came to Syracuse, New York. Maybe some of you here will remember that. Promise Keepers came to Syracuse, New York, and there was a man in my church who was an instructor at at, uh, the military academy at West Point, and he said, hey, pastor, um, uh, I'm going up to Syracuse to this Promise Keepers thing. Would you like to come with me? And I I went on a recon mission. I I didn't want to encourage the men of my church to go to something that was unfamiliar to me, okay? I felt a responsibility that I I shouldn't send somebody someplace if I wasn't sure where they were going. So I went to Syracuse to Promise Keepers uh, in the uh, Carrier Dome on the campus of Syracuse University. Some of you are familiar with that. And uh, I was in the midst of thousands, thousands of men, biggest group of Christian men I'd ever been in up to that point. And uh, we were uh, being led in worship by a really great worship team almost as great as the one here. Maranatha singers something. And uh, I looked around me, all around me, and there was a very diverse crowd of Christian men there. And I looked around me and I saw all over the place people raising their hands. And I said, I can't be here. I can't be here. This is not how I do it. I'm not, I'm not going to... I, I can't. I... Oh, that's too high. <laughs> two hand? Two, two? Nobody here knows me. <laughs> I had to let myself enter in to feel the heat in that moment. I had, to let, I had to give myself, I had to receive permission to overcome my bias. To overcome my, the weight of my church tradition and background. I had to let myself, I had to receive permission from God to say, Dennis, it's all right. Uh, have you read my word? Have you read my book? Dennis, have you read it? Because it says right in there, I want all men everywhere to lift up holy hands. It says it in the book. How can you not see that? And you're supposed to be teaching people what my book says. So remember that part too, Dennis. Really? Oh, yeah. He was trying to say that to me then. I wasn't ready to hear it. I, I had to learn to feel the heat in that moment. And maybe some of you are still learning how to do that and how to receive permission from God to enter in. This furnace burns multiple sources of fuel. It's a very efficient furnace. Gospel music. Uh, what other kind of music is there? Well, I was looking at you, Mike. I mean, I thought you would know. Contemporary Christian music. Hymnal! Okay, all right, enough about that. God has scattered fuel all over the place 
for our spiritual furnace to consume. Gather it. Burn it. Feel the heat. And repeat. Uh, Almost done. I found that the best way to enjoy that campfire is with people you care about. It's just not as good when you're there by yourself. And, and enjoy that with others. Like we do here and now. Hebrews 10. Just that highlighted part. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together. And I, I, I want to encourage you, and I want to let you encourage me to... Find that heartburn. Oh, um, oh yeah. There was a mention of a reward. If you return it, if, if you find it, there's a reward. You want to know what the reward is? Really? No, that's it. Really? You'll know. I promise you, you'll know. Let's pray. Thank you, our Heavenly Father, for giving us this moment. Thank you for the encouragement that we have found here, fuel for our fire. May we make it to the next fueling stop. Set our soul on fire, Lord. Set my soul on fire. For Jesus' sake, amen.